listening to First Church Charlotte. God bless you all. It's great to see all of you today in the house of the Lord. I hope you're able to shake the distractions of your week off and in his presence connect, have that spiritual connection uh, that makes Sunday such a special day. I believe the Lord has something for each one of you respectively. He, he's not afar off where he cannot be moved with the, the, you know, the thoughts, the fears, the worries of our life, but uh, he can be touched with the, the reality of what you're going through, what you're facing. And it is an honor for me to be able to open the word of the Lord and share the spiritual truths and the life-changing stories and insights of the word of God with all of you. If you're visiting with us, we hope you feel at home. We want you to. Uh, I know we have several first-time guests here today. Thank you. Make yourself right at home. Uh, We're going to get in the word of the Lord together. Before I get started on that, I want to remind everybody that we have our third uh, fund drive to help needy families, and there's two ways you can help. Number one, you could donate and earmark funds for that drive, or number two, uh, you could help us uh, locating uh, families in need that would be uh, at a place uh, where they're they're open for help, and we can help them. Uh, That is happening right now. I'm preaching today from this subject. As, As you guys know, I always try to get a title that when you first hear it, your reaction is sort of, you know, what in the world is he going to do with that? Uh, that is how a preacher piques your interest, and then you, you can follow along with the train of thought, preaching, or teaching. My title today is The Wishing Tree. You've heard of a wishing well. You know, you throw a penny in and you, 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 you wish for something and, you know, you're supposed to get it. Well, good luck with that. Uh, you've all heard of a wishing well, where today I'm preaching about a wishing tree. And I, I really want the Lord to, in some way, get past the distraction in our lives and reef, restore, re, reestablish uh, where our hope lies uh, here today. First of all, let me tell you the story about a song. Um, songs do something for us uh, when we there is a there is a, a reality that you're facing, something you're going through. You don't really know how to put it all in words, but you hear the right song, or you hear the song that you fell in love with in high school, and it directly speaks to that moment in your life. And that song uh, says something that you cannot say with logical sentences and prepared words. This is one of the values of art in that it says the unspeakable. And it communicates something that you cannot easily uh, sum up in language. And so when a song becomes super popular, it's usually because it is uh, answering, it is speaking, it is somehow uh, touching uh, something that a lot of people are feeling. A song has to touch you, otherwise it's just a tune. Um, and so there was a song written uh, in 1942 in, in, in France and was performed. 
performed by a, a French singer by the name of Lucien Boyer. And you don't know that you know this song, but you actually do know this song. Um, she didn't make it famous. Uh, it was recorded again uh, by Roland uh, Gerbeau, uh, also a French singer in 1943. And it was really popular, but it caught the moment, and it just kind of exploded in popularity. Uh, France had been a nation that had gone from being uh, the strongest nation on, in continental Europe, at least by their own standards, to being defeated by the enemy they had formerly defeated, the, the, the German, uh, the German uh, Reich. And so they had they literally were going through kind of just this moment of crushing uh their they had buried their their soldiers in the thousands uh the world was split across trenches and guns aimed at each other and truly people were dying in the millions it was it was a horrific time it was it was terrible and this song uh touched that moment and uh said something that's really hard to say and if I give you the words you will you will begin to remember the song I wish you bluebirds in the spring to give your heart a song to sing and then a kiss but more than this I wish you love now that song would become popular uh, all over the world a little bit later once uh, it was uh, re-released and some of the lyrics adapted by Albert Beach and um, it spoke to the moment in the middle of horror, in the, more, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of terror, in the middle of uh, families sending fathers off to die on foreign beaches and, and uh, wives sending husbands off to die to fight on forests, uh, on foreign fields. Uh, it touched something. I wish you shelter uh, from the storm, a, a cozy fire uh, to keep you warm, but most of all, uh, when snowflakes fall, I wish you love. We have a saying we say one to another. We say to err is human. To err is human. Uh, if you ever are in trouble, you kind of toss your hands and you say, oh, I'm sorry. To, to err is human. Well, let me tell you something else that is eminently human, and that is to wish. To wish is, is human. You, among all God's creation, have a very clear sense of time, and you you have a sense of you moving through time. You have a sense of where you are and where you will be. You have a sense of your life in your 20s, if you're in your 20s, and you imagine what it might be in your 30s, and if you're in your 30s, your 40s, you get the idea. You have this, this innate ability to uh, wish something was so, and uh, you express that in different ways. There's a, there's a website called Atlas Obscura, atlasobscura.com, which is just a fancy Latin way of saying uh, obscure places. Uh, in the Latin, obscureplaces.com. If you go there, it is a collection of kind of unique places that you would not, you would not see on a map, but they are notable uh, and they are recorded. And if you went there and you searched for the wishing tree, uh, you would be directed to a street corner in in northeast 
Portland, Oregon, where there is a rather large uh, chestnut tree. Uh, the photo that's in the background of our title is actually a picture taken from that tree. And you notice all of the white tags hanging on, on this tree, I, I should explain. The owner of the property is named Nicole, and uh, she was going out of town in 2013. She had to make a trip, and she, quite on a whim, quite just in the moment uh, of thought, she got some pieces of paper before her trip, and she wrote down wishes on the paper, and she uh, hung it from her tree. And then to explain to her neighbors what she had done, she made a sign entitled The Wishing Tree, and she attached it to the tree, hung her wishes on the tree, and left on her trip. Now, she thought that would be the end of it, uh, but when she came back, all of her neighbors had joined her, and they had brought their own tags, and they had written their own wishes on her tree, and they had hung her whole chestnut tree with their wishes. If you drive by it today, it almost looks like a tree whose leaves are white, because as you can see, it is adorned with the wishes of the whole community. Uh, today, if you go there, there is, uh, they provide slips of paper that you can write your own wishes on, and it's quite a thing now. It even has made its way into the tourist books. But the idea of wishing, as it were, upon a star, or wishing, in this case, upon a tree, or throwing a penny in a well, and wishing for the good. If you, if you were to read some of the wishes, you would, you would find fun ones like, uh, I'm wishing for a year full of crepes. They obviously loved crepes. Uh, you also could uh, put on there something like, I'm wishing for a year of plenty of chocolate. That's pretty much how I, 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 I would write on there. I'm wishing for more cinnamon rolls from my mother. I would write that on there. And I'm wishing for more tacos and mm, moving right along before I get you all hungry for lunch. Um, you would write on your little wish and hang it on your little tree. And the tree's never bare of wishes. It's always adorned with uh, these wishes and people of all ages and all backgrounds scribble out their wishes and hang them on the tree. To wish is to be human. It's to have a sense of wanting something that currently is not possessed. The, the philosopher William James uh, in uh, the last century, he's one of the founders of practical, uh, practical philosophy and one of the most interesting of all the modern philosophers. In fact, if I had to pick one modern philosopher that I wish people would read, it would be a William James. Um, he describes desire as wanting to feel, wanting to have, or wanting to do what is presently not felt, not possessed, and not done. And that, that wishing, that desire, that longing, that yearning expresses itself in layers of your life. Uh, you will desire and wish for simple things. You will desire and long for material things. If you ever drive by somebody and they bought your car, the very car you would have, and they got the color you would have. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They got the color you would have, and they got the rims you would have, and you drive by, and there's this part of you that thinks to yourself, I wish I had that car, and you had a different car, because you did not get my permission before you bought my car. 
uh, if you, uh, you know, get to a certain age, you'll drive through a neighborhood and you'll see a house. And particularly if you're, you're, you're younger, you'll think to yourself, someday, someday I'm going to have a house like that. As you get older, you just kind of think that's a nice house. <laughs> you give up the someday. <laughs> um, so this is, it's a human reality to live with, with yearning, to live with desire. And this reality is really a kind of a layer cake in our life. There's layers to it. Uh, there's the harmless, there's the simple, there's the fun. But as you go deeper, the very thing that was essentially harmless can, 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 can come to be something uh, that is not quite so harmless in, in your life. Uh, trouble often follows when expectation takes over in your life and your focus becomes less upon what I am doing and more upon what I deserve. In my opinion, trouble almost always follows that uh, sequence. Once expectation takes over in your life, you have, you have planted a seed of future resentment. None of us know what tomorrow holds, and living a life of faith and surrender is one of the greatest testimonies of the believer. Maybe I should say that again. Living a life of faith and surrender is one of the greatest testimonies of the believer. How would Jesus say that? He would say, consider uh, the sparrows of the air. Um, they, they, you know, they, they don't know where they're going to be tomorrow, but the Lord watches out for them. Consider the foxes of the field. Consider the flowers of the field. Do you see this sense of I haven't control, I do not know what tomorrow holds, but my faith is in the one who holds tomorrow. This becomes a living, continual testimony of the believer. Can I have a big amen? Amen. And so there is, there is risk once we have this change in our life of um, I wish to I deserve. Uh, there's a phenomenon of marketing is that they always use the language of discontent. And so marketers will always feed you the language of discontent. They will do it in several ways. Uh, I don't have time for all of them, but let me just give you two. The first one that they do is an unspoken an image that if you're not happy now, you would be happy if you would just buy their product. That is the language of discontent. You buy their product, you are still unhappy, uh, you fell for it, uh, happiness was never dependent upon their product, happiness was an inside job. The second thing they do is they use the language of deserve. You deserve this car. You Uh, Let me just tell you, once you start thinking in terms of I deserve, what you have done is planted the seed of future resentment. Uh, There is no deserve. There is only what is and our response to what is. Now stay with me. I'm giving you the practical. You guys know I like to give you the practical and the spiritual. I don't, I, 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 it's not my idea. That's a biblical idea. That's how the Lord taught. He would give that which was so spiritual, it was almost impossible to understand. Read the Olivet Discourse. And he would also tell you a story about a woman who lost the coins that had been given to her. So we're going to try to take both the practical and the spiritual here. So let's, let's continue forward here. 
There's a good reason why uh, people in recovery, people in therapy for addiction are taught that an expectation today will breed a resentment tomorrow, which creates this negative loop of despair and tosses them right back into the crutch of their addiction. We are stuck with this heart that's always unsatisfied with what it holds and always reaching for what it does not possess. We are machines of discontent. We are by nature comparing ourselves one to another and suffering with the consequences of that, co- that comparison. Where does wars and, and fighting come from? James says it's from the lusts that war within us. Do you all want to hear some scripture here today. I hope that's why you came here today. Where does this come from? The lusts that war within us. We have this wishing, this yearning, this wanting. We can't always put it to clear language. We cannot always explain it, but if we are not careful, we settle for a reality that if I had that, then I would be different. If I had the house, the car, the job, If I was married, then things would be better. Then I wouldn't have to work for happiness. I would just be happy. Uh, Yeah, moving along. (laughs) This reality of if I had what I wish for, then I would be happy because I'm not currently happy, as if to say, I know what I need. And if there's one thing life has taught me, we are terrible judges of what will make us happy. In fact, most of us, when we're given the very things we think will complete us, are faced with a mirror of discontent. There is a reason why so many lottery winners end up depressed and broke and even suicidal. They thought they knew what they needed, but all they knew is that they were a wishing machine. And the wishes just went over and over like a grinding mill of discontent in their heart. When I was studying, I was reading several um, uh, medical doctors, clinical psychologists, and psychiatrists. Uh, I want to give you a quote from one of them. I won't give names because it's about an individual. But a story of a client, and uh, she was talking to her therapist, and um, she said it had been eight months since she had retired, and she had never considered what her life was would be like once she retired with tears flowing she said this about her experience quote it never occurred to me that once I got to this point in my life my parents would be dead I would be too tired to do the traveling I'd put off to now and I wouldn't have any hobbies to keep my busy mind quiet this is nothing at all like I thought it would be we are not very good at uh, determining what it is will, shall we say, satisfy the yearning that is within us. So uh, it's not my goal to give simple life advice here today. I want to give a little life advice, but it's much more my goal to give a spiritual life advice. You you, you see the difference between that. Uh, One of them is just wisdom for living. The other one speaks to the reality of your soul. The other speaks to the reality of the kind of being that God made you. The other speaks, spiritual life advice speaks to the manner in which your reality 
reality is experienced by you and the truth that the things of this world are never really going to be enough to satisfy the whole being that God created you to be. You see, beyond the wish for the temporal, look, there's nothing wrong with having nice things as long as they're not idols in your life. Uh, And it's natural and normal to wish for that and enjoy that. And toys are fun. And houses and lands, that's all what it is. Uh, And it's fine in its place. But here's the problem. Uh, When we think that the will of spiritual restlessness that turns within us is somehow going to be stilled by the things of this world, we have confessed to the ages that we do not know the nature of our own soul. When we think this world is going to be enough, it is though we flag, we fly the flag of folly and we say, look, let's just announce to everybody that I do not know the nature of my soul's construction because you are not just uh, of the forest and the field. You are not just animalistic. You are not just uh, living and walking uh, like another biological entity. No, no, no. You have the breath of God breathed into you and the result of that is you're never going to steal the restlessness of your soul with anything less than the eternal. So let me show you this in the scripture. This is my point beyond the physical beyond the temporal beyond the things of this world there is real spiritual longing. Whatever stage of life you're at, whether you're young and trying to, you know, make somebody of the opposite sex like you, (laughs) or whether you're trying to get educated so you can have a great life, or whether you're in the middle years and you're trying to get your kids to grow up and get out of the house, that was funny and no one laughed, I don't even care, Um, uh, whether you're trying to pay for your kid's college, or whether you're hoping your kids won't call home for money, whatever stage of life you are in, I'm still at the age I call home for money, that's right, Uh, or I send my kids over there broke, oh, I forgot to give them money and my parents have to feed them, uh, my game is tight, just so you know. And so, and so wherever stage of life you are at, I, I want to say this to you. You will not silence or steal your spiritual restlessness with the things of this world. I want to read Isaiah 26. This is verse number eight. And this is showing the spiritual longing that is at the core of your very soul's construction. At night, the prophet says, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. This reminds me of the prophet, young Samuel, when he's just coming into his own sense of the spiritual. He's a boy, and he has all of the normal things that a boy would have, and uh, he has duties, but he also really just wants to go outside and, and play and have a good time. And the first awakening he has of a spiritual realm beyond this realm is the voice of God speaking to him in the middle of the night, and the Lord says, Samuel, and he wakes up and he thinks to himself, hmm, Eli has called me, and his little fat legs run down 
down the hall and he walks into the little office, uh, the little sleeping quarters of the, of the temple and he's like, uh, did you call me, sir? And uh, Eli says, no, I did not call you. He says, okay. And so he walks back and gets back in bed and he thinks that's the end of the story. But again, what happens? The awakening of the spiritual, the touch of the eternal in the temporal, Samuel. And Samuel, what does he do? Uh, Eli must have called me. He runs his little legs back down. Uh, what do you need? Can I get you something? Are you thirsty? What do you need? This process is happening until Eli recognizes this is the awakening of a young boy's sense of the world beyond this world. This is his knock, knock, who's there moment. And he gets this advice from Eli. The next time you hear the voice, say, I'm here, Lord, I hear you. And when the Lord speaks, Samuel, Samuel sits up in his bed and he says, I'm here, Lord, I'm speak to me. I am aware. Every one of us need a moment in our life where we hear the supernatural voice of God saying, hey, your hobbies have taken you far enough. Your career has taken you far enough. The things of this world can do what the things of this world can do. It is pleasure for a season, but can you see that there is more beyond this? And so the writer Isaiah says, at night, my soul longs for you. The psalmist, I think, more beautifully than any other writer in the scripture, he puts to words and music this, this, this wistfulness for God, this, this hunger, this longing that's a little bit difficult to express in logical uh, sentences, but much easier to touch in worship, praise, song, and even poem. He says, 73, verse 25 of the Psalms, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I, did not, I desire nothing on earth. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I, 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 besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Psalms 42 and 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, verse number 1, oh God, you are, you are my God. I, I shall seek you earnestly. My, my soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where, where, where there is no water. Psalms 143 and 6. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. Selah. Uh, This is the longing within all of us. And uh, you need to understand this or you will forever have a shallow view of your soul. You need to have a sense of this or you'll forever think that this life, this world, this experience, these possessions, this house, those cars, they're enough for you. And the joke will have been on you and you will not really understand it until the game is almost at its end. I know I called it a game and that's an imperfect description, but I want you to see the truth of what I'm trying to say. You need to understand the nature of the manner in which God created and crafted and constructed your soul. You have a need, a yearning, a hunger, a longing for the supernatural. We can run from it, we can deny it, we can hide it, we can wish it away, but in the night, even the prophet says, my soul longs for God. I want to show you something that you will have seen before. Um, There is... uh 
if you've had Psychology 101, there is uh, something called Maslow's Ladder of Needs. I have a diagram that we're going to put up for you uh, right now. This is Maslow's uh, Ladder of Needs, and I want to try to show you something in this process uh, that I think, I think if you have an ear to ear hear and you have eyes to see, I think it can change some perceptions in your life. So this is uh, Maslow's Ladder of Needs, and the point he's trying to make is that you have layers to your being, and once you get uh, one layer dealt with, organized, and shall, dare we say, solved, um, you don't suddenly find contentment and happiness. You take a step up to the next level, where once again, the restless will of wanting and wishing spins within you, and uh, you make progress, you get it organized, you get it sorted out, and um, you're content finally, right? Well, no. You just move to the next level of that, and what happens at the next level? That restless will of worry and want and wishing and yearning turns within you, and then you're content, right? Finally, you are content. Finally, praise God, hallelujah. Uh, except no, your soul just moves to the next level, and what happens? That will of the, the restlessness t- spins within you, and he gives you, the psychologist here gives you the hierarchy of needs. At the basic level, uh, you have physiological needs. You need uh, food, water, shelter, you need rest. These are basic fundamental needs. If you do not get this, nothing else will matter. So above that, above that is safety, above that's belonging, above that's issues of esteem, finding your place, and above that is meaning or self-actualization. But if you don't have food, water, and shelter, you will not worry about your self-esteem. How many of you know this to be the truth as a living testimony? You, if you don't have food and water, if, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, it is time for you to go on a solemn fast. It is. It's time for you to go on an extended fast, and I want you to daily blog your fast, how you are feeling. Because if you don't have food and water, you will not worry about meaning You will not worry about self-esteem. You will not worry about relationships. In fact, you will end relationships to get your food and water. My wife is so proud of a shirt that she says, she has, and she wears it every chance she gets. It's one of those hangry shirts. Forgive me for what I said when I was hungry. (laughs) You will end relationships if you're hungry. You see what I'm saying? This is the basis. Once you have this, however, you don't become a a machine of contentment. Uh, You just take a step up to the next level. And after this, you need safety. Uh, If you are not living with a sense of safety, let's say for the point of argument that you live in a a gang neighborhood and they for some reason threatened you or demanded something of you and you live in fear. There's only one time in my life that I've lived in daily fear uh, and that's when my wife was uh, in college in Texas and I was evangelizing and we had a neighbor it was a quite bad neighborhood which many of you have lived in bad neighborhoods that's no big deal um, and there's a lot of good people in bad neighborhoods uh, that's the truth and you can't forget that don't get into judging people by neighborhoods that's just simple 
okay? Um, there's a lot of good people in bad neighborhoods. And so I wasn't worried so much about that, but it was a bad neighborhood. I, uh, one night, I watched a man beat a woman up. Uh, I thought he was raping her, called the police and everything right outside, right across our street. Neighbor upstairs, he could come downstairs one day, high as a kite on drugs, giving us his knives, saying, I just feel like I'm going to harm somebody and I can't help myself. And his eyes are all big like that. I started walking my wife to and from the car every day um, with a pistol in my pocket. Don't tell anybody I said that, although this is the South and I'm forgiven for that. And I was afraid for my livelihood. I would go on an evangelistic trip and I would make her promise me, and we were living with this every day, promise me uh, that she would follow this kind of set of, of rules that we had agreed on for, uh, for safety. If you're living in fear, you will not worry about um, uh, your self-esteem needs. You will not worry about meaning. Why? You haven't got to that. You are living in fear. But let's say you get yourself organized. Your neighborhood gets a little better. Uh, you maybe move to a better neighborhood. You solve some problems and your life gets more organized. Now, you don't turn into a machine of contentment. What do you do? You start worrying about contentment. There was a day when you worried about the rent, but now you're miserable because you need a man. <laughs> Honey, a man will make you miserable like you ain't never been miserable. Can I get a witness? What? You women betrayed us. But you see what I'm saying? When you were worried about the rent, you weren't worried about a man unless the man was going to pay the stinking rent. You see what I'm saying? And then you found out the man needed you to pay the rent, and that didn't work out very well. So, um, so you, you see, these are, this is the, 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 the ladder of needs. And if you get that sorted out and you have uh, 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 supportive relationships and not all healthy, you know, the, sometimes the best, most supporting relationships in your life is not the relationship of the lover. Sometimes that's the most troublesome one in your life. So you need to build friendships. Yes, you heard me say that. I'm giving you good life advice when I say that. You need to get a network of people who will support you. They won't be perfect either, but... On net, they will support you and help you. You need to be a part of a local church. Can I have a big witness? You need to have people who will pray for you and check on you when you hide in the closet and feel sorry for yourself. And they'll worry about you and they'll call, call. This is good help. This is blessing. And once you get that in place, now you start worrying about uh, esteem. Am, am I good at what I do? Does what I do matter? Am I, am I good? Am I, whatever you do, if you're health, finance, whatever, now that's where your worry is. You didn't turn into an overnight happiness machine. That's where your worry is. And then finally, after you have climbed the ladder that has organized your life and you've been, a, as it were, a good steward with these things and you've, you've established these things and you're making real progress, having done all of that, you will find at the end of the ladder is not the end of your needs, but the end of the needs you can define when you needed food that was hun it was easy somebody bring me a happy meal that's easy. You can define that. When you're at risk, you can define that. When you need somebody because you're sick of being alone, you can define that and you're mad because only crazy people are showing up, okay? At the end of that, you need to be good at what you do. I, I, you, that is real. You can't fix that just by, you know, showing up at the church and, and having brothers and sisters. You need a sense of esteem. Try to be good at what you do. Your life will be richer when you are good at what you do. Can I have a big amen? 
Amen. But at the end of that will be the end of your ability to wrap it up with a bow and put it on a shelf and say, been there, did that, on the t-shirt. At the end of those things will be the end of simple, descriptive uh, needs that you can wrap your mind around, but it will not be the end of your needs. You will not turn overnight into a contentment machine. Now you step into the arena of that which is real and cannot be said. In fact, it is so real that it will haunt you. It will stalk you, but you can't really describe what it is that you need and this is where the preacher shows up and he says you really need to have a sense of God beyond the years of your living and you need to have a sense of redemption for all the crazy things you've done and you need to have connection with almighty God who loved you he created you Okay, yes, the preacher's going to say that. But let's take a break because you knew the preacher's going to say that. Let me take you back to this chart. You don't experience this chart as needs. You experience it as fears. You guys with me? You don't experience this as needs. You experience it as fears. And so we'll start at the bottom. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the rent this month. Are they going to evict me? Am I going to be kicked out? Am I going to be in that borderline vague place between surfing my friend's couches and being homeless? Am I going to be? You don't experience as a need. I need to get a job. No, you experience that fear. And that fear walks with you. And that fear holds your hand and slaps your face. That fear haunts you. It does not seem like a need when it is a lived fear. And you carry it like a cloak. And then once you get the rent taken care of and you can finally afford having enough, you know, breakfast cereal and dinner hot dogs and you have it all sorted out. We eat fancy at our house. Uh, When you get it all sorted out, (laughs) the next thing is you need safety, okay? You don't experience this as, oh, I need to find the best neighborhood with the lowest crime. No, you experience it as fear. Why is that car following me? Why is that guy yelling at me through the car window? Who's knocking at my door? And the fear is relentless and it stalks you every day and every hour. Every day and every hour. You don't feel need, you feel fear. Then I'm going to be alone forever. I'm never going to find anybody. I'm afraid this is as good as it gets for me. I don't belong to anybody. I don't even know if anyone would come to my future, my funeral. You don't feel it as need. You feel it as fear, fear, fear. The human experience is to wrestle every day with fear. And it doesn't end just because you got the physiological sorted out. And it doesn't end just because you got the safety. You finally moved to a better neighborhood. And it doesn't end just because you now have family and friends and support. It doesn't even end there. It doesn't even end when you think you're good at your job but it looks like you're going to be laid off. It doesn't even end there. Fear is the human experience to a world that we deeply know is much broader than we could ever explain. There are more things in heaven than we can encapsulate in our individual philosophies. And there's more mystery to it all. And the fear never seems in, its, in any real way to end. And we are a living, experiencing not a ladder of needs, but a ladder of fear. Nobody's excited today. Stay with me. We're going somewhere together. So, uh, on the other side of everything this world can give you to feed you, 
to shelter you, to protect you. On the other side of the belonging and connectedness this world can give you, on the other side of the career that this world can offer you, there is the great indescriptable. There is the mystery. There is, there is the eternal. There is the unknowing. And it is not going to be soothed by something that is not of its essence. Now, I said that very complicated. Let me try to say it, or uh, let me try to say it in a, in a way you can understand. Look back here. Let's say you are safe. You just don't have any water. Suddenly, you're not safe, are you? But I can't reassure you as you're lost in your desert and you're dying of water, I can't make you feel better by saying to you, an answer from a different level. Did you hear, guys hear what I just said? When you need food and water, I can't make you feel better by telling you how much people love you. I want you to get this because this is the error of the human experience. We try to answer the spiritual with the, we, with the answers of the carnal and it never works. The joke is on us. When you need safety, I can't reassure you by saying, hey, but you have extra cereal in the cabinet. You're not interested about the cereal. You think someone's knock you on the head and take all your cereal. I have to answer the fear you have with the answer that corresponds to it. I can't mismatch and it lasts. If I mismatch, the joke is on me because there is not a solution across levels. I can't say to you in the area of your esteem, let's say you're terrible at your job and you can't stop getting fired. I can't tell you, oh, but your kids love you. That'll make you feel worse. You need an answer from that level of your life. You need to get your career organized. You need to figure out what they want. You need to get your, your education sorted out. You need to learn how to manage your time and make a list and work it and check it twice. You've got to get it at that level. You can't get it down here and say, hey, but we still have food this week. That does not help. And this is the folly of the human condition. We use all of this stuff to try to answer what is unanswerable by this stuff. And like the rich man, we build bigger barns. And God says, the joke's on you. You're a fool. You cannot answer the eternal with the issues and answers of the temporal. So I'm almost done. Musicians, come. Thank you. I'm going to take you to John chapter number seven. And I'm going to read one verse of scripture. John 7, verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast. Say that with me, the great day of the feast. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Do you see this image? There's this huge religious celebration. Something's happening on the great day of the feast and Jesus stands up in the middle of this celebration and cries where they can all hear him and he says, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What's happening here? Uh, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, also known as the Feast of Booths. Oddly enough, I'll explain that. Um, it happens on the 15th day of the seventh month. Uh, 
five days after Yom Kippur, and it is a celebration of what God has done for the house of Israel. They celebrate it in a very unique way. For seven days, they sleep outside in little booths constructed of branches that have been woven together to provide an illusion, watch this, of shelter. It's not really shelter. It just makes them feel a little better than they did before. It's not real shelter. It just makes them feel a little bit better about being outside. It is intentionally constructed with gaps in the sides so the wind blows through and it's intentionally constructed with gaps in the ceiling so they can see the stars. And the point of it, the point of it, the whole house of Israel sleeps in these booths because at night they see the stars and they remember a day when they did not have shelter over their head and God gave them shelter. Do you see what's happening right here? They remember a day when they were nomads and they had no shelter and God gave them shelter. And every night of this feast of tabernacles, they look up and they see the stars through the gaps and they think to themselves, this is how it used to be, but God gave me shelter. Isn't that awesome? And they leave gaps in the sides of the booths. So when the wind blows through, they can remember there was a day when the wind cut us like a knife. There was a day when the cold winter and the burning, searing summer cut right through our shelter and reminded us that there was no shelter. All we had was an illusion of shelter. And so here we are remembering when we had none of the lower needs of this ladder of needs that we've been talking about. That's what's going on. For seven days, during the New Testament times where Jesus is having this, there's a tradition that what Jesus is telling this, uh, this moment where he stands up and says, if you thirst, come unto me. Um, they are playing out a memory. They are they're, they're celebrating uh, the promises of God in this way. For seven days, the priests form a pr- procession and they go down to the pool of Siloam and there they fill jugs with water and having filled those jugs with water, uh, they return to the temple complex while the people sing the Hallel Psalms. Hallel Psalms are Psalms 113 through 118, and these are the songs of praise that the people of God sang as they went to the house of the Lord. They're called the Hallel Songs. And then when they get the procession back to the temple complex, before the people, having sung worship and praise to God, they pour out these jugs of water from the pool of Siloam on the ground as an offering before the Lord to show that God has kept his promise and they no longer are dying of thirst, but he's placed them in a land that is filled with water and now they have water to spare for seven days every day of this celebration. They gather the water from the pool of Siloam and the people follow along or line the streets as the priests make their way and the priests get to the temple complex and before the people, they say, all of us who used to not have water, look at what God has done for us and they pour that water out. This is all a reflection of of Isaiah 12, uh, verses one through four. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. 
Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you will comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also, he also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. What are we doing? There was a day we could, didn't, we didn't have basic needs. We didn't have water. We didn't have food. There was a day and God did not leave us where he found us. And now look at what God has done for us. We're pouring out the bounty of the Lord as a testimony of what God has done for us. Stay with me. Stay with me. For seven days, they testify that they have more of enough of the needs of this world. And on the eighth day, they stop pouring out water to show that they're no longer thirsty. God has fulfilled the promise. That's the great day of the feast. They stop pouring out water to show they're no longer thirsty. They're no longer thirsty. They're no longer thirsty. And Jesus stands up on the day where they're showing they're no longer thirsty. And he says... If any man thirsts, come unto me. I have a question for you. Is this world enough for you or are you still thirsty? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Yes, you have your needs answered. Yes, you now have a land that flows with milk and honey. Yes, we have a temple that has been restored and rebuilt. Yes, yes, yes. You once hadn't food, but now you have food. You once didn't have water, now you have water. All of these things have been given to you and you're thankful for it. But are you still thirsty Is there something this world can't give you? Because if you're still thirsty, after you've been given what this world can give you, then you need to come unto me. What is the great commandment for all believers? To love the Lord our God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. That is the commandment. That is the how we get it right. Do you want to get it right? Somebody say, I want to get it right. Do you want to get it right? This is how you get it right. Love God with everything that is within you. This world will never be enough. Your career, you need a good career. It will never be enough. Can I have a big amen? You need to have a a roof over your head that will never be enough you need to have health and I'm glad that you got yourself finally after all these years some good health insurance and you're doing well in your careers I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad and yes you need family yes you need friends but if that's enough for you I don't have anything to say but if it's not enough for you if there's still something in you that longs to touch the eternal then you should hear what Jesus is saying to you because he's standing in your life. And he's saying, if any man is thirsty, come unto me and drink. I entitled this the wishing tree because here's the reality. To wish is human. 
And I told you the story of a tree in Portland. It's just a fun thing. They hang their wishes on it. But let me tell you, I didn't hang my wishes on a tree in Portland. I hung my wishes on a tree at Calvary. Because everything I could not find for myself, I found in Jesus. And every repentance that I could not give myself, I found in Jesus. And the hope a career could not give me, I found in Jesus. And the joy that hobbies could not provide. And you get the idea? This world could not provide. I found it all in Jesus because I was one of those people who after you met at this level of need, I was still thirsty. And after you met the next level of need, I was still thirsty. And after I had friends and family and loved ones and wife and children, I was still thirsty. And after I found my career and gave myself to it, I was still thirsty. I want to be that person who looked at this world and says, this world is not enough. Give me Jesus. I'm hanging all my wishes on a tree at Calvary. Everything I need, I find in him. Would you stand with me all over the house? Would you lift your hands in submission to God? And would you say, Lord Jesus, I give you all of me, withholding nothing. I give myself to you. I am going to love you with all my heart. Tell the Lord that I'm going to love you with all my heart. I'm going to love you with all my soul. I'm going to, come on, somebody tell them that right now. I'm going to love you with all my strength. I'm going to put you first. I am not going to be a child of idolatry. I'm putting you first in my life. This world is not enough. It's never been enough. This life is not enough. It has never been enough. Houses and lands is not enough. It's never been enough. Friends and family is not enough. Career success is not enough. The things of this world is not enough. Fame or fortune, would it come my way, is not enough. I hang my wishes on a tree at Calvary. And in Jesus Christ, I have access to the eternal. I touch the face of God through Him. I feel the presence of the Lord here today, and I want to take advantage of the faith that's in the room right now. If you have a need you would like to represent before the Lord specifically, raise your hand across the house. You're going to, in, the, in just a moment, we're going to pray, and you're going to specifically name a need. I want it to be specific because if it's vague, you won't have a testimony. There's no testimony in vague prayer because you don't know if anything happened. You probably were asking God to do what he already said he was going to do. And then when he does it, you don't notice because he's always done it. You have to make specific prayers to activate faith. So you, in this moment right now, you're going to pray a specific prayer for a specific need. I know what I'm praying for. I need you to stand in the gap as a spiritual intercessor. We can't have altars the way we normally do. Now, all that is, uh, that's for another time. But that doesn't mean we're pray- our prayer isn't powerful. And that doesn't mean our prayer doesn't make a difference in the heavenlies. Can I have a big amen? Yeah.
So right now, we're going to take the, all of us into a place of prayer, and you're going to represent your need. You don't have to pray the way I pray. You don't have to pray sophisticated. It can be simple, but it has to be authentic, okay? It has to be your heart opening, presenting to God the only source of your supply. Would you join with me all across the house right now, and you stand in the gap for that need. Call their name out right now. Call their name out right now. Lord, you know the names that are being spoken all across this house right now. Lord, you know those in our church who right now are sick. You know those, Lord Jesus, we individually are taking hold of a specific prayer request and we are praying for that need specifically, Lord Jesus, because we're wanting to see the demonstration of your kingdom among your people, that you would be glorified in this earth, that you would be glorified in this church, that you would be glorified in this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Touch the sick uh, body, I pray, Lord. The individual fighting with an infection and they can't seem to get well. Touch them right now, Lord. I pray for the people who are standing in the gap all across the city by way of video and they're joining us right now. They're not here in this building. They're in their kitchen, at at the kitchen table. They're in their living room, but they're calling out someone's name right now. Lord, hear their prayer. Let their faith be joined to our faith as we look heavenward for the answer to come from the only one who has an answer and that is you, O Lord. Would you speak to this generation? Would you heal our land? Would you forgive our sin, O God? I want us to do one more thing before we we continue on with our our day and our various plans and whatnot. Um, I've really challenged you to put God first in your life. And I've tried to preach in a way where it comes with a fresh angle and kind of, because it's a fresh angle, it hits fresh ears. And, and that is this reality uh, that God is the only source of the questions that you cannot form in some simple sentence. The needs you can't really get your hands around. You can't wrap your brain around it because it's spiritual. It reflects upon the nature of the type of being you are and the way that God made you. And the answers of God happen in that area. You cannot soothe the needs of your spirit with the answers of the flesh. You cannot make your soul have peace by giving it more money. It never needed money to be at peace. It's at a different level of need. What is it? What is it in your life that 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 tends to get you, that casts you back into that grinding will of fear? What is it in your life? What is the need in your life right now that prompts fear? Whatever it is, I want you to surrender it to God right now and acknowledge that He is our source. He is our only hope. Would you do that right now, Lord Jesus? The very thing that tries to exalt itself against our knowledge of God, the very thing that hinders and hurts, the very thing that draws us back into a cycle of dysfunction, spiritual dysfunction. Lord Jesus, I'm praying today that we would have the strength to surrender it at an altar and say, not my will, but thy will be done, to lay it at your feet. It cannot take its place in our life at the exclusion of you. You are the only thing in which we have complete and total hope. You are the only one to whom we turn to answer that which is unknowable in us, that which is indescriptible in us. You are the source of our true contentment. 
of our spiritual hope, of our soulful renewal. Let it happen among your people, I pray today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This hour in our society is is so fraught with fear and people can't even tell you why they're afraid but it's fraught with fear do you know clinical depression has doubled in the last six six months since uh, the the number of people with clinical depression I I, I took a clip out of of, uh, my note out of in my study and I put it I put it in the notes I was going to share share it with you. Um, uh, rather than digging it up here, I have too many notes. Um, I, I just just trust me on this. The number of people who openly admit that they are struggling with continual anxiety it's doubled. It's doubled. And when you ask them why, they'll say this and they'll say that and different things for different people. But what it comes down to is ultimately they're not exactly sure. Um, You're not going to answer that kind of fear with anything less than the spiritual. When you can't put it into words, it means you need an answer that is deeper than words. Do you see? We, this hour is an opportunity for people of faith to speak faith, to demonstrate faith, and to pray for those who cannot shake their fear. We as the church did not lose our testimony in the middle of trouble. We gained our testimony in the middle of trouble. So I want to tell you, let God use you for that purpose. Let God speak faith through you to the people in your life that you literally are their connection to anything spiritual. Without you, they have no connection to the spiritual. You be that channel. You speak that word in Jesus' name. How many of you will do it? How many of you will do that? You'll make that commitment. Lord, I pray your anointing upon these people. I pray your unction upon these people, God. Let us as the church demonstrate your power. Manifest your anointing. Let us as a, as a, a, a group of people in this city, in this neighborhood, let us with your blessing manifest what it means to put our trust completely and wholly in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you help me praise them all across the house right now? Lift your voices. Lift your hands. We bless you, oh God. We bless your name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.